0: Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll take a a, a look at the word this morning. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We love you, Jesus. I am so grateful for all you're doing. All you're doing here in the House of Prayers. We're coming up on our fifth year anniversary of 24-7. I'm stunned, and I'm grateful, Jesus. We comprehend it's your grace. So, Lord, now I'm asking, would you release revelation this morning on this very simple issue of love, Release revelation to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, brood in this place and speak to hearts. Draw us into understanding. And come and stand with me and hold my hand. Let me speak as an oracle today of truth that sets free. And oh, how we love you, Lord. How we love you. Good, in Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Okay, good, amen. We are going to uh, continue in the series we're on, The Glory of Marriage. We're on uh, part four, I believe. And uh, last time we were together, we talked about just a definition of marriage um, because we realized there's so much out there and so many different ideas of what marriage is, and there's such an attempt right now in society to redefine what marriage is. Just thought it was important, actually, just try to give some language to uh, understanding what this means what this issue of of holy matrimony and covenant in marriage actually means, and so then this morning uh, we 're going to continue to to move forward, and i 'm about as simple as they come, so I realized you know hey, in marriage, there is one uh, factor that causes the whole thing to be held together, and that 's love and uh, well we better I, we better identify what that is, and so Whereas last time we defined marriage, uh, this morning I want to define or try to give some definition to love. This idea, this—it's more than an emotion. This sentiment—it's—it's it's bigger than that. There's actually not a really good word, um, a single English word. I don't think that that describes the three different. There's three different Greek words that describe love, uh, as we understand it, we use one word, love. But th- this concept is far bigger and broader than I think most of us understand, including myself. And I'll just say this disclaimer on the front end. This one, this message um, is a burner. Amen. I mean, it just, as the more I studied it, the more I began to get exposed, personally, just exposed and my own lack of love, my own lovelessness. And so I'm just going to just confess that I don't love very well. Just start, that, just start on the front end. I don't love very well, and I, I recognize that. And my endeavor in God is to become a man who loves really, really well. And so I'm preaching from that vantage point. So if it starts getting hot in here, don't worry. Because I'm hot too. It's, it's, <laughs> it just is what it is. It's amazing how we think we can understand a thing, and then when we begin to investigate it a little bit, and Holy Spirit begins to, to shine light on the topic, how that, that subject will expand and broaden, and all of a sudden, things that we thought we ha- you know had understanding of and held true, all of a sudden, those things just begin to fall apart as truth begins to get exalted. And so, uh, I, wanna just, I just wanna be a uh, reporter of truth today, talk about this issue of love, this, this engulfing issue of love. So bear with me as I bear with myself, and I just welcome you again, Holy Spirit, to help. So I think we have a low view of, of love in a similar way that we have the low view of marriage, and it's because we, we think things about love that aren't true, and, and what we call love oftentimes is not love at all. And so that's why we've got to go back and, and redefine what this is. And and here's the deal: because we have a low view of love, uh, we 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 misunderstand what it means to uh, to live a life of love. We we don't really get that because we don't really understand truly what love is. And 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 we have a low view of love, and therefore we have a low view of marriage and marital love. And then we misunderstand the activity of love and. And our low view of love actually comes because we have a low view of God. And there again is the core issue, the knowledge of God. It's amazing how everything goes back to finding out who he is. But of course, that's why Paul said every stronghold is exalted against the knowledge of God. The enemy is all the time trying to pervert the knowledge of God. For from truth and understanding who God is springs forth every other truth. And where we're, where we're off in our comprehension of God, then we're going to be off in other areas uh, of understanding. I mean, anything, any, any area where we're off in our, in our comprehension of God, we're gonna, we're gonna, that's going to trickle over to other areas of life. And so we've got to come to a, a true knowledge of God as much as we can. We lean in. His greatness is unsearchable, but we're on, we're on an uh, ever-increasing journey to find out who He is. So we continue to lean in to find uh, truth in the knowledge of God, and from there we find out, the truth of other things like love. And so one of, the, one of the key issues of the Holy Spirit, one of the key activities of, of Holy Spirit in our lives in this age is to conform us to the image of Christ. That's one of the things Holy Spirit is really, really committed to. He wants to make you look like Jesus. Now God knows every little nook and cranny of our lives he knows every secret thing, every secret thought, every secret action. He knows everything that we hide in our homes that we would never put on display in public. I'm talking about actions and attitudes and mentalities, words and thoughts. Holy Spirit knows it all. And he comprehends how, how big of a job it is to conform us to the image of Christ. He's got it real clear. He goes, okay, Humphrey and Perfection. Oh my. Actually he's not intimidated by it at all. I'm the one that says oh my he goes, I can do this. Oh I can do he's a glad worker. He goes, Oh, I can do this. We're gonna cut a few things off. We're gonna we're gonna light a little of that on fire. We're gonna press him right into the mold. We're going to conform him to Christ. And so that's, that's what Holy Spirit is interested in. He's interested in making us look like Jesus. Why? Because the Father wants a comparable bride for his son. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a bride that's going to actually be like Jesus. He's not trying to marry his son off to one that's not like him. And so Holy Spirit is, is actively engaged and moving us that direction, conforming us to the image of Christ. And so that means he wants to conform us and train us in this issue of love. Because Jesus is love personified. He's love incarnate. And so you could simplify everything I just said in this, that one of the chief journeys of your life will be learning to love. Learning to love. I don't have a verse for this but I'm pretty sure that when we stand before, I don't have a verse that says it exactly this way, I could probably pull a bunch together to to make the point but I'm pretty sure when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be a question that's something like did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? And love love isn't something that you do once a week or you can sort of string together a bunch of good deeds and call that love. Love is far more comprehensive than that. It's engulfing. Kind of a tough word is dominating. Love wills to dominate the lover. It wants to take you over, that's the point. Love is way more beautiful way more wonderful and sweet than we ever imagined and way more powerful and way more engulfing than we ever dreamed. Love is far more intense than you and I have ever given it credit for. Love is not a feeling though you feel it. It's not simply an emotion that comes and goes. Love is beyond that. It's it's not just a it's not just a nameless force either it's a it's got relational aspects to it. In fact, there is really no love without God. Under creation, I don't care what humans call it. See because without God the world is fallen. Sin has taken fallen humanity and that's called depravity. And so love is only available in and by God. And so you could say it real clearly this way that true love, all love, comes from God if it's really love. And we call all sorts of stuff love but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is love just because we call it that. You understand? Love comes from God. He is the epicenter of all that is good and he is the epicenter of all that is love. In fact, God is love. (laughs) Love is amazing and I'm I'm gonna narrow it down in, in this conversation, and talk primarily about marital love, because you, you know to try to talk about love in, a, in sixty minutes is just impossible. It is just a, as an exercise in futility, right there. Especially with my little bean brain, I mean, there's just, it's just it's just way bigger <laughs> of a subject than we can, than for sure, than I can grasp in sixty minutes, or than anybody could actually proclaim in sixty minutes. But let's go into it. Let's look at this marital love. Marital love is an interesting thing. Marital love simultaneously takes you by surprise. In other words, it happens to you and it's something you choose all at the same time. (laughs) When you engage in love that says, I wanna spend my life with this person whom whom I'm drawn to, that happens to you and you say yes to it. Just like faith, love is authored by God and then offered to humanity. God is the one that comes up with this and then God offers it to you and I. And you can say yes to love or you can say no to love, but you'll feel love happen and then you have to choose love in your life or choose to do love. And so love, my little definition, a little Humphrey version, dictionary, it's got about four definitions in it. Here it is. Love My definition is love is actively preferring and serving another for their blessing at the expense of your own desire and benefit. Love is actively, that's an important part of it. Love is active. It's actively preferring and serving another for their blessing at the expense of your own desire's and benefit. Now, I did a little bit of reading, obviously, and I've, I've I've been studying some stuff, and 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 that book summarized. I mean, that that line summarizes as much as what much of what I've read in books and what I've written myself, and and what I've meditated on. and And I'll just say this: I, after I penned that, I read it a few times and thought, Woof, "Man, I'm disqualified right there." <laughs> Love is actively preferring and serving another for their blessing at the expense of your own desires and benefit. There are sweet moments in love that when you actually give yourself for the blessing and benefit of another and that thing that you're doing to give yourself is actually what pleases you most as well. There's sweet moments in love when that's the case. What you're doing is what your spouse likes too, in other words. And you're doing it, and they like it, and together you're both experiencing this this wonderful joy together. You're giving yourself for them, you're loving them, and then whatever you're doing is a blessing to you as much as it is to them. That happens sometimes in love. We imagine that that is the way love is supposed to be all the time, that whatever I'm doing, they're going to love it too, and this is how we do love because we're in love and everything that they like, I like too, and we're going to like it together all the days of our life, and they live happily ever after. That is not how it goes, beloved, unfortunately. There are sweet moments where what you want and what your spouse wants are parallel and and, and in harmony and actually the same in unison. There are moments when that's the case, but by and large, the activity of love has to do with preferring them above yourself. By and large, the activity of love has to do with preferring them above your desires and above your benefits. And therein is where Love, and that's where it intersects with self. And that's the foundational idea of love. Now, I'm gonna go through a few thoughts on this. Um, I wanna deal with this issue of infatuation. Much of our society, many in the church, uh, most of the love songs that are out there, most romantic comedies, Let me encourage you not to get your theology on love from romantic comedies. But the truth of the matter is, most young people do. They either got romantic comedies, or they got, you know, like Jane Austen. And and, and somewhere in there, that's where they derive their mentality of what love is. And so most people, their comprehension of love is really infatuation. That's what they think it is. But love and infatuation are completely different things. There is a compelling, engrossing, infatuating facet to true love, but infatuations, beloved, they will come and go in life. Interests will come and go. Infatuation itself alone is not love. Most people understand, they they misunderstand this. They think that the... The feeling of infatuation is the feeling of love, and that's not it at all. There is a compartment of love that's infatuating, but infatuation is not the, the finality or the, the fullness of what love is. And, and so because most people think that love is infatuation, what they say is they say stupid comments. Stuff like, I don't love them anymore. That that's I mean, that's just dumb because love and infatuation are different what they're saying is the infatuation has worn off i was infatuated and now i'm not and therefore they say stuff like i don't love them anymore i've you know they use this term i fell in love falling in love that's just a it's a funny term it doesn't tell the whole truth Love is something that comes upon you and something you say yes to. Love is as much of, of a choice of your own will as it is a choice of God's will. Love is something you agree to. And so people, they, they misunderstand love to be infatuation. And so when infatuation fades, they believe themselves to have fallen out of love. That is a completely false idea. When you've actually said yes to love, there is no going back. Love is eternal. How do I know that? Because it comes from the one who is eternal. Love is forever. Love is not subject to the whims of infatuation. Love does not ebb and, and flow based on, you know, how you feel. Love is—it's solid, it's eternal, it's—it's established, it's forever. Feelings of infatuation will go up and down, but love is not dependent upon feelings. I was reading C.S. Lewis, and I told the story several weeks ago about how C.S. Lewis—he married a woman who was uh, in, she was uh, in stage four of cancer. And they stayed, they stayed married just a few years, and she died. And, and they actually got married in a hospital room. And, and all of his friends were talking about, what's wrong with you? Why would you do such a thing? Don't you care anything about romance? And, and he had much to say about romantic love and infatuation versus the reality of heaven's love and what it means to love beyond just infatuation and romance. And so I want you to bear with me. I want to read just two paragraphs from C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity, because he just says it so, it's, the, the language is so kind, it's way nicer than, than I can say it, but it just slaps you around if you let, you, if you let it. It's, it's, it's like, I mean, it's kind of like a, it's like a boxer who kind of fakes and then just goes, boom! I mean, it's, it's got that feeling. It's like, oh, I'm not gonna get hit. Whoa, I'm on the ground. <laughs> so let me just, let me just read this to you. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, here's what he says. People get from books and plays and the cinema that if you have married the right person, you may expect to go on being in love, quote-unquote, forever. As a result, when they find they are not, he's talking about the feeling of infatuation here, and he's, he's identifying as, quote-unquote, being in love. As a result, when they find that they are not, they think this proves they have made a mistake and are entitled to change. Not realizing that when they have changed, the glamour will presently go out of the new love just as it went out of the old one. In this department of life, as in every other, thrills come at the beginning and do not last. The thrill you feel on first seeing some delightful place dies away when you really go to live there. Does this mean it would be better not to live in that beautiful place? By no means. If you go through with it, the dying away of the first thrill will be compensated Will be compensated for a quieter, more lasting kind of interest. What is more, it is just the people who are ready to submit to the loss of the thrill and settle down to the sober interest, who are the most likely to meet new thrills in some quite different direction. This, I think, one little part of what Christ is what is one little part of what Christ meant by saying that a thing will not really live unless it first dies. It is simply no good trying to keep any thrill. That is the very worst thing you can do. Let the thrill go. Let it die. Go on through that period of death into the quieter interest and happiness that follows. And you will find you are living in a world of new thrills all the time. But if you decide to make thrills your regular diet and try to prolong them artificially, they will all get weaker and weaker and fewer and fewer. And you will be bored. A disillusioned person for the rest of your life. (laughs) It is because so few people understand this that you find many middle-aged men and women maundering, I had to look that word up. Anybody know what that means? Good. You find, it's not only me. You know, you read something like this and you go, okay, I actually had to look the word up. It is because, I'll I'll give you now what it means. It is because so few people understand this, that thrills come and go. It's because so few people understand this that you find many middle-aged men and women rambling about their lost youth at the very age when new horizons ought to be appearing and new doors opening all around them. See, we have locked in so hard on this concept of, of, of the romantic in love. We have completely missed the stronger aspects of love, like faithfulness and commitment and giving and serving and laying your life down, which all of those together, when perfected in you, comprise a life that's conformed to the image of Christ. And we imagine somehow that marriage is supposed to be a continual day in and day out infatuation when I tell you there are moments of infatuation. They will ebb and flow in marriage. But I tell you, marriage is not mostly made up of moments of infatuation. It's mostly made up of moments when you find out what it's like for Jesus to love an imperfect people. And therein is love, beloved, we give ourselves without an attitude. We give ourselves without a a negative you owe me. We give ourselves to a broken fallen person to benefit them and bless them. It's amazing to me. We think we understand and comprehend love. We think we get it. We think we've got it down but we don't do it very well. Think about marriage. 50% divorce plus, oh, greater than 50% divorce rate in the church and out. That lets me know that we're not doing marriage very good and we're not doing love very good. We, something we think we got. We want new revelation. Give us new revelation, brother. How about let's start with the first revelation, old revelation, the one that we don't do very well. How about let's get love? Simple love. Let's find out what that is. David Paulson said this, he said, love is a matter of the will, a voluntary decision to devote oneself to the well-being and happiness of another, to blessing them with all that they desire. Blessing them with all that they desire. See, I don't know about you, but when I read something like that, immediately the shields of protection come up and I go, wait a minute, I gotta protect myself. What do you mean blessing them with all they desire? What about me? And therein am I exposed, and therein is my selfishness, and therein is my immaturity, and therein is my lovelessness. Therein is the, is the declaration of the fact that I'm not perfected in love because what do I think about first? Self. If I love that way, then what about me? Well, I think that's what love is after. Love is a hunter trying to kill selves. I did a little comparison between infatuation and love. I said this infatuations fade, love is eternal. Infatuations happen spontaneously, love is determined by choice. Infatuations come automatically, love must be perfected. Let I me mean, just elaborate on that for a second. Infatuations fade. Love is forever. Love is eternal. It's not subject to our whims or our emotions. It's not subject to our likes or dislikes. Listen to this. When we have told another, I love you. When we've said, I love you. If we are true, if we're true and we've said, I love you. In essence, we've told them that there's nothing that they can do to forfeit our love. But you know what I realized? Most of the time when people say I love you, what they mean is I love me. Because what they really mean is I love how you make me feel. I love how I laugh when I'm around you. I love how you and I take good pictures together and you're kind of hot and I love looking good next to a hot person. They they think all sorts of weird stuff. But they, they don't think... I, when they're saying I love you, they're not necessarily saying I want to lay my life down for you at the expense of all my desires to bless you. Because that's what I'm after. I'm after your ultimate blessing at the expense of my own. Who's saying that when they say I love you? I mean, almost nobody. I had to check myself. I was like, man, I tell my wife I love her. I tell her that multiple times a day. But how many times am I really saying I love you? Man, just to be honest, I was going, man, I'm saying I love me a whole lot. Honestly, because just the the mere definition of it demands that what I'm offering her is something that's going to expend me for her. And then I realized this, a lot of people, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute a little bit more, but a lot of people, they do love just so they can get. They do love to get love. They say love so they can hear love. And a lot of times people say I love you with the obligatory expectation on it that they would hear I love you back. They're actually saying I love you because they want to hear they are loved. Now that's an interesting little twist on it, but beloved, that's manipulation. That's manipulation. Because it's not expressly for the interest of the other. It's expressly for the interest of self. I'm loving you for me. And if I say I love you, expecting you to say it back to me, guess what? I've now put expectation on my love. My love hasn't been free. My love has come with a price. And when my love comes with a price, guess what? It's hypocritical. I'm exposed. I don't know about you, but this is exposing me. I told my wife the other day, I said, honey, I've said I love you a lot. Many, many, many times because I wanted to hear it. I said, I want you to feel free. Whenever I say I love you, you don't have to say it back. I just want to just lift, I just want to identify that and lift it off. Now, of course, I want to hear her say I love you, but I don't want to manipulate her into it. Make sense? Infatuations fade, love is forever. If you've ever told somebody you love them, if you're true, what you're telling them is you'll never be able to do anything to lose my love. Infatuations, they happen spontaneously. Love is determined by choice. See, if there were a choice in love, I mean, if there were no choice in love, maybe be clear, if there were no choice in love, The scripture, the New Testament, wouldn't be full of exhortations to love. Why does the scripture have to tell us continuously, love fervently, love with a pure heart, love the brethren, love your enemies? Why does the scripture have to continually encourage us to love husbands, love your wives? If love didn't have to be a choice, we've got this mentality that love is just something that sweeps us off our feet. We just kind of float along in love. And then all of a sudden, when I'm not floating anymore, it's not love. No, the scripture is clear. You've got to choose to love. You've got to say yes to love. Love will come. Love will happen. And then you must agree with love. You must welcome love. You must say yes to love. And then you must choose to love continuously. I love this verse, 1 Peter. It's such a good one. Since you have, First Peter chapter one, verse 22, since you have an obedience of the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love. A sincere love. I looked that word up. That, that there's a Greek word there that it's used for, as pure and sincere. It's the same word. It's paired about five times with the word love in the New Testament. And, and, and the admonition regarding love is most often love and love sincerely. Love, love with a pure love, not with a manipulative love. Not with a love that's trying to get for self. Love with a love that's trying to give away. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. Fervently love one another from the heart. Oh, I love it. John said it this way. He said, don't love in word only, but in deed and in truth. Love is so powerful. And then I said, infatuations, they come automatically, but love must be perfected. It's true. Love is something you grow in. Love is something you practice. Love is something you've got to work at. Love is something you've got to choose and you've got to see it overtake the way that you would live selfishly. Love overcomes. Love is a choice that's got to be perfected in you. And John says it real clear in 1 John 4. He says, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Or since God so loved us, since this was the manner in which God loved us, let us love one another. Verse 12. No one has seen God in any time If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. That little phrase, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us, that seems so simple. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected. I tell you, God's love is perfected in you over a lifelong, continuous decision to love over and over and over to love another. And marriage provides the the premier context by which you can spend yourself for the blessing and benefit of another. And it's over a life laid down, a, a lifelong journey of laying yourself down that love is then perfected. I tell you, you and I will stand there and I, I, I can almost hear it now. The question will come on the day when we stand before Jesus, he'll look us in the eye. He'll know the answer, but he'll want us to answer it. Did you learn to love? We could do the altar call now, but I'm not going to. So that's a little bit on love versus infatuation. You know what I began to realize at this point? Love requires divine intervention, which is my next point. Love requires divine intervention. It's an act of God for a human to love. We are selfish, bought in sin, sold in slavery to darkness without Jesus. We are lost Hopelessly helplessly bound to poor choices, rebellion, hatred. It takes, it takes an act of God for a human to love. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that a man given to sin would love. <laughs> love requires divine intervention. See, true love, it's always from heaven. It's always from God. If it's true, it's from God. And it's like faith. Like I said, God authors it and then he offers it. And you and I, when we receive that offer of love, man, walking that thing out, walking out that pledge that we give, oh, that is, that is a lifelong journey of death that requires God's grace imparted on our lives all the time, every day. It's easy to pledge that we love. Walking it out. (laughs) It's humanly impossible. (laughs) How easy is it to pledge, to say I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. How hard is it to walk it out, especially when your desires have to take a backseat to the desires of another? Beloved, this is love. That God became a man and died. Love another, love one another, love your spouses in the same manner. The offering of self for the benefit of the other. Loving with all your heart is easy to say, impossible humanly to walk out. It requires divine aid because no human, no human will love completely for the benefit of another without heaven's influence. (laughs) So what does this mean? This means this, we've got to give ourselves... (laughs) to the Lord, we've got to present ourselves to the Lord and fall upon God's grace and God's enabling ability that calls us to love and enables us to love. And I'm so thankful because when you got born again, when you said yes to Jesus, Bible says this, that the love of God was shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. He actually fills you with love. You actually get a reservoir of love at the moment you get born again. And I believe this, that the more that you meditate, the more that you abide in the love of God for you, the easier it is to draw on the reservoir of love that's in your soul. And you can offer love as you comprehend love. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians 5 for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Draw on the reservoir of revelation and love her the way that he loves you. Love requires divine intervention. See, it's, ama- it's an amazing thing that happens, but do you remember when you first began to, to love? You first began to love your spouse. If you've been married a while, it's kind of weird to think about how perfect you thought they were. You're like, I, I, you know, I wasn't sure that you ever made any mistakes. You know, it just, you, just, you just have a, this crystal image of who they are and, and then it's compounded because everybody's on their best behavior for about six months. Which is why I like a little time in there. I, I want everybody to get off their best behavior. I always ask prospective married couples, I always say, hey, you guys had a good fight yet? Because if they haven't, they hadn't really seen the other guy, other person. But remember that moment you saw that person as completely precious, totally lovable. I mean, you you lived a while thinking about them just, man, they're, they're just like almost perfect. It was amazing. They're just stunning. I just can't stop thinking about them and just, oh my God, what's happening to me? I'm in love. You know what was going on with you? For a moment, even if it was in part, you were beginning to see that person. The way God sees them. He was dropping love into your heart with His lens for them. And you begin to see them as precious, as worthy of of all your waking thoughts and all your time. And you begin to see them in a way that was like, just, they were just so exalted. And then y'all got married. And y'all woke up the next morning. And you found out people have bad breath and other things. And, 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 And all of a sudden, reality came crashing in on the dream. Well, here's what it is. Here's how the Lord does in so many things in our lives. He gives us the appetizer of truth. He gives us the seed of a vision. He gives us the beginnings of our destiny early. And we see it and we go, whoa, and, and, and it moves our hearts. It could be, it could be your, your vision in life and God. It could be you know what you feel like God's called you to do. So many times people get, they get the, the picture of where they're going in God and he gives it to you in seed form. And I, I meet so many young people and God's spoken to them about a dream that, that they ha- carry in their heart and they think it's going to happen tomorrow. And they don't realize that Moses's have to go to the backside of the, the desert for years and years and years, that John the Baptist have to be out in the wilderness and they don't realize there's a journey of perfection unto, unto realizing their dream. Beloved, that's exactly what goes on in love and marriage. God lets you see them just for a moment, just just in a precious way, in a lovable way, just the way he sees them. He knows all their faults, but he still loves them like that. And he lets you engage in that. And then what do you do? You get... You say yes to love, you say yes to marriage, and you are now on a lifelong journey of loving them through that lens, even in spite and in light of their weaknesses and imperfections. This love, this thing love, it requires divine aid. You know what we do? We quote unquote fall in love, we get infatuated, we say yes to love, we say yes to marriage, and then all of a sudden, it's not what we thought and then we spend all our time hiding from reality. We don't want to tell anybody the truth of our problem because now we think we've married the wrong one because we've fallen out of love or whatever we think that is. And all of a sudden, they're not as lovable. They're not as precious. They're not as wonderful. They're pretty creepy. And we're married to them and oh no. And so then we hide and we act like we don't have any problems in our marriage. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, we're good. Amen. Listen, we all know you got problems. You married a sinner. <laughs> of course, you got problems. That person's a sinner. We get it. It's okay. And so we protect the idea of perfection in marriage because we have this false concept of love and these false expectations. And I tell you, love is meant to be walked out with people who are imperfect, loving through those imperfections. And there's this crazy thing in the Bible. It says, love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't make excuses, but it works with the person through them. That's the idea there. Love requires divine intervention. How are y'all doing? God ties our love for one another in with our love for him. He says things like this, "In the amount that you've loved the least of these, you've loved me. Here's the most amazing thing to me about love. And marriage, you get to choose who you want to marry. You get to choose them. You get to choose them. You pledge your life to them, pledge your love to them, all your heart. We do that in front of people. We, we choose and pledge. And then, and then here's the deal. It's really difficult. Now, of course it needs, it, it takes God. This demonstrates our need for God. The more I begin to meditate, the more I realize this that we've got to it, it helps us to understand what love is if we personify love. If we see it as something that has its own mind, will, and emotions. We see love itself as its own personality. Because I believe it's it's sort of like that. The Lord gives love, love comes from him, and then love itself has its own expectations its own requirements. For it to be true love, it has to be a certain way or it's not love at all. So think of love personified as its own thing, as its own personality. Mike Mason says this, he says, marriage faces us squarely with the problem of what to do with love once we have finally caught it or rather once it has caught us. For marriage is a trap a trap of pure love. Love doesn't request. It requires of the lover. It requires everything. Love continually fights for full disclosure. It fights for complete intimacy. It fights for total susceptibility. It will continue. Love will continue to pursue you until you give in. Until you become honest. Until you become real. Love requires complete disclosure. You can't hide in love. You can't hide from your spouse if you're in love. Love will require you to give in. It wants all. (laughs) It wants your whole heart. Love is dominating. It'll engulf you you know what it wants to do? It wants to hunt self down. Once you've said yes to love, hiding from love is fruitless. As long as you keep saying yes, love will keep asking for more. Love will keep asking for more until self is gone and you are diminished and love is what's left. Mike Mason says this, the wedding is the beginning of a lifelong process of handing over absolutely everything and not simply everything that one owns but everything that one is. There is no one who is not broken by this process. I wrote this, love seeks to overcome all who welcome it. In fact, love will not relent until it has completely engulfed the lover and when the lover has been dominated by love, self is destroyed and the lover is reduced to only one thing, love. Scripture makes clear there's true love and there's hypocritical love. 1 Peter 1 says this, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love, fervently love. Since you've purified your souls for a sincere love, a sincere love, therefore fervently love. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5 says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart a good conscience and a sincere faith sincere love a pure love that's the goal of our instruction beloved Romans 12:9 Paul just says it real clear let love be without hypocrisy love is for the other beloved I've kind of skipped through my notes This is kind of where it lands if you love your spouse ultimately to get things for yourself, that's not love at all, by definition. Love is always for the benefit of the other, and true love has no expectation of reciprocation. I just find myself under these truths of what love really is and what love really does, and I go, oh boy, there's a journey in love that I really don't comprehend. And then I look at saints of old and I look at at those who have laid their lives down for others and I go, wow, they actually entered into true love. They actually found grace. That They they said yes to the grace that escorts them deep into love unto the place where self was no no, no longer evident and love was what remained. And oh, beloved, I tell you, when love is what remains and self has the back seat, there's a pleasure there that you and I cannot comprehend. Self always goes for pleasure first instead of love. But if self can take the back seat to love, pleasure actually will be the first thing. It's the upside down kingdom. Gary Thomas says this, hold yourself, brace yourself. If a man hasn't loved his wife, it's not his wife's fault, it's his own. Declaring that you've never loved your spouse or loved them no more is a declaration of your utter failure as a Christian. For in Christ we are called to love even our enemies. One who says they have fallen out of love with their spouse is essentially saying, I am no longer going to act like a Christian toward you. True love is a choice we make to lay our lives down for the good of another and prefer them and their needs to our own. Learning to love, love it, it's greater. It's greater than what you and I deem to be important. You know what? Loving in a marriage, loving is better. It's more important than being right. Loving is more important than demanding right. You know why? Because love will cover a multitude of sins. Love them through their weakness. Love them through their brokenness. When you said love, if it was real, you meant it forever. It's more important to love than to be right. Right is wrong when it is demanded and dominates another. It's more important to give love than to protect self. I tell you, there is a a diminishing of self that we've got to come to if we're going to love. I tell you, beloved, it's better to love and be betrayed in love than to never have loved at all. That's better. I mean, it's more painful for the moment. But when you stand before Jesus... If you can imagine and see the day ins and day outs of your life through that moment when you stand before Jesus and he says, oh, you loved. You loved without expectation. You loved and gave yourself away, though it was never given back. Maybe you've been betrayed in love. I tell you, it's better to loved and been betrayed than to never have loved at all. Finally, I wrote this. Love calls us out of ourselves so that we may learn to love another different from ourselves, not for ourselves. And therein, beloved, I tell you, it's the beauty of the gospel that God would love us. We're image bearers, yes, but he's transcendent. He's of another order. He would love us broken and weak and frail. He would love us completely, call us precious and, and delightful. He would love us under the laying down of himself. And Beloved, that's what we're called to do in love and marriage. So many of the songs, so many of the movies, so many of the stuff, so much of the stuff that's out there, it's not teaching us what love is. We're filling our minds full of falsehood. We call it love and I tell you, it's not truth at all. Love will bring us to the end of ourselves and oh, ultimately we'll end up looking like Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's all repent. Praise God. Love is a hunter. It'll take you down. Oh, and I want it to, Lord. I want it to so that I can look like your son. I want to find the bliss in love. The blessing in love. I want to find out what that really means. It's better to give than receive. I want to know that. Oh, God, I pray for marriages and love in our marriages. Real love. love that outdoes the other and for the declaration of God to us and through us in our marriages as we love let's take a moment and let's say yes to love If the Lord is dealing with you as he dealt with me about your lovelessness I want to invite you forward And let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to direct our hearts into the love of God in in a deeper way, in a greater way. Single or not, this is a critical issue. There is no falling out of love once you've pledged love. Love is eternal. Love is from God. Love is forever. Love is for another. Shining on our hearts, recognizing we've been loveless. We've not understood it, nor do we understand it now. But we want to. We want to comprehend what does it mean—the height, the width, the depth, the length—to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Love that's patient. Love that's kind. Love that's not arrogant. Love that does not seek its own. Love that does not parade self. Love that's given for another. Help us, Lord. Help us to love our spouses. Help us to love. Help us to love. just as you're before the Lord, consider this. If your spouse was to lose all their physical appeal, if they were to find them some handicapped, would you be as delighted in serving and blessing them the rest of your life as you are in enjoying them now? Let love take you. Are you hiding in your heart? Are you hiding from disclosure? Are you hiding from expression of of what's inside for fear of rejection? Let love have you. You've pledged in love that you would love this other one the rest of your life. Let love have its way. Let love have you. Let love reduce you. Let love reduce self. He who loves his life will lose it. This is the gospel, beloved. If we love one another, God abides in us. And through this, the love of God is perfected in us. This journey of love, it's a perfecting journey. Let's love in truth and in deed, not in word only, not in word only. Let's love without hypocrisy. Let's love in patience. Let's love in kindness. Let's love in tenderness. Let's love in mercy. Direct us in the love of God, I ask Holy Spirit. Direct us in the love of God, I ask Holy Spirit. Direct our marriages into the love of God direct our lives into the love of God we want to love from a pure heart we want to love with a pure heart fervently we want to love one another from the heart with a pure heart with a pure heart with a pure heart and God where we've been loveless let us repent let us own it let us be honest let us be real come Holy Spirit I'm asking for a breakthrough in this area that this community would love, that these marriages, that we would love, that we would love, that we would truly love. More, Lord. Breathe light. Breathe light. Breathe light. Holy Spirit, say far more than I could ever say. Say it to our hearts, speak truth. Direct us in the love, direct us in the love, direct us in the love.